Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church. You can find more great content like this online at citylight.church. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, for the gift of your word, Lord. We thank you so much uh, that you have called us out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light, Father, but, um, and that you send us on mission into your city, Father. So we just thank you for one another, Lord. We thank you that we can meet under uh, your word and worshipping you together in this place. So, Lord, I would humbly ask that everything I might teach tonight, Lord, uh, would point people towards you uh, and that there would be no error, Lord, but only glory for you. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so any preacher worth their salt uh, will understand that before you preach a passage from the Bible, you must first submit yourself to it. So, all week I've been praying through uh, tonight's passage, um, so I've become quite uh, intimate with this word. Um, it's been a great joy for me, actually, confronting me uh, about some of the things I hold uh, in my heart to be true, or some of the ways I've approached uncovering truth in Scripture. It's given me a fresh appreciation for the character of God, um, his provision for us. This word from the Apostle John in this letter uh, is so apt and succinct into the environment in which it was written, and yet it is so succinct and directly applicable to our world today as well. Now, the passage we're in today is 1 John 4, chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. So I'll read it. I'll give you a minute if you'd like to read along to find it, but I will be reading it. The Apostle John. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error, the word of God. The preaching team, when we got together to name this series, John actually came up with the name Proof of Life. I'm sure over the weeks that we've been working through this passage, you've seen why. In the recent weeks as we've unpacked it, the text has been asking us to examine the love that is evident in our lives as a proof that God's love is in us or the love of the lives in others as evidence that God's love is in them. In this section, though, John is shifting focus for a bit. John is asking his people to be watchful over their minds, to be watchful over their doctrine, because, and he makes this clear, what we believe to be true and right in our faith is an indication if we are indeed walking with Jesus or listening to those who are walking with Jesus. It's clear in today's passage, it's not enough just to say that God is love to, as a church, avoid doctrine 
as so many do, because doctrine divides. Brothers and sisters, as a church, we cannot avoid doctrine and the right understanding of God. John, in this letter, is going to tell us that doctrine doesn't divide so much as reveal existing division. But in saying this, as a bit of a footnote, John is not seeking to run a fine tooth comb over everybody's doctrine. He's not arguing the merits of superlapsarian versus infralapsarianism. He's arguing here about the basics, the fundamentals of our, of our faith. He's talking about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So if John is asking us today, because this is God's word for us today, to examine the basics of our, of our doctrine, we should ask why. Is the context John was writing into sufficiently like ours that we can directly apply what John is teaching to our situation today? So what do we know about this letter, this context? Well, it's written to the Ephesian church, which basically has split in half. And they've split over doctrine concerning Jesus Christ. If we read the letter, it's most likely they've embraced those who have left the church, a form of Gnosticism a separation of soul and body, where your flesh is considered evil. The Gnostics denied that Jesus was human at all, doing away with Jesus' work of atonement on the cross and any important of the sins of the flesh. This might be an oversimplification of Gnostic teaching, but I think it reflects it accurately. What we do with our bodies ultimately doesn't matter. It's who we are on the inside that counts. Does that sound familiar in the world at all today? So John is very much refuting this teaching with this letter. This is why you see such a heavy emphasis on on the apostles having seen and touched and felt and heard Jesus in this letter and why they're writing constantly that those who say they are without sin are liars. So the truth is that we, the people of God, have always faced false teaching from within our own ranks. If you have time later this week, read Isaiah or Jeremiah, Hosea. They've always been false teachers lining up to proclaim lies, all in the name of God. Jonathan Lehman describes today's public square where we share ideas as a battleground of the gods, each trying to pull believers in their own favour. Islam, materialism, the LGBTQI group. You just have to watch the nightly news to see this battle being played out across the Western world. You could say, in some respect, our society is devouring itself. Not everybody is playing fair in the contest. But that being said, the real threat to us, the people of God in the church, isn't that threat from outside, but the threat from within. The problem will always be when the false teachers are, or at least used to be, from within the church. Chapter 2, verse 19, makes it clear. The false prophets this letter is contending with went out from them, sat beside them in the church, probably prayed with them. Earlier this week I uh, met with my wife in Kurong, and she was there with somebody else. Uh, And I got there quite late and the other lady had purchased herself a book 
And I could see why she purchased this book. It was presented beautifully. Kurong had a huge stand at the entrance as you walked in. It had many endorsements. I looked up what they had to say online about the book. And they described it, and I'm quoting, this powerful best-selling novel, now a feature film, has helped millions of readers to wrestle with the paradox of God's goodness in a world of pain. Talking about the shack. Somebody like El Mola, a significant leader of the church in the US, in an article entitled The Dying Art of Evangelical Discernment, observes that this is just pure uh, universalism at work, all religions leading to heaven. So make no mistake, in our current environment, as much as in Ephesus, heretical teaching is mainstream. And we, the church, need to be equipped for discernment. And not just for rubbish like the shack. Remember, 2 Corinthians 11.14 warns us that Satan himself will come to us dressed as an angel of light. So how is it that we judge what is from God and what isn't within our churches? How do you test the validity of what you are reading or hearing or observing as the work of God? I was in a very unfortunate position a few weeks ago in a church service, uh, evaluating that church service, um, six or seven worship songs, not one mention of Jesus Christ. Uh, people being slain and hitting the ground. Uh, pronouncements that the whole church was cured of cancer. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, is this of God or is this not? Have you been in that situation? I didn't have an answer. I had a suspicion. And if you were to say to make a decision about such a church service, what would be the things you would point to to back up your idea? If we don't learn from history, we repeat it. We're not the first people to ask this question. And the Lord warns us constantly in his Bible that false prophets will arise. In Acts 20, Paul warns the Ephesian church that false teachers will arise from among their very eldership. So the big idea I want us to take away from today's passage. Firstly, is that we need to be discerning in what we need to listen to and that there are false prophets in the world. That is the big idea for today's sermon. And these verses, and this is God's provision for his people, give us some questions we need to ask of the teachings we are concerned about. God has provided us in this epistle with a way of of valuing and of judging the things we are hearing. Does anyone, has anyone heard of Jonathan Edwards? 18th century theologian, probably America's greatest theologian, pastored during what is called the Great Awakening. It was a time where, of campfire revivals where people are recorded levitating of, of, hysteric, of like ecstatic worship, of amazing healings. There were a lot of people opposed to what was going on and there was a lot of people saying this is true revival. And as one of the great theologians, people are saying, Jonathan Edwards, what do you say? And in response, he went to this passage that we're exploring today. And from it, he formulated a series of questions to help us all discern what is going on. So, will you join me 
as we go through these questions, as we equip ourselves in this contested world to see what is of God and what may not be. Our first verses are 1 John 4, 2-3. I'll read. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. First point, Antichrist. We talked about it this at Glenelg recently. For John, he's not talking about the big bad guy at the end. This is just false teachers. Right? This is the spirit of false teachers, which you heard was coming. So the first question the text wants us to ask teaching is this. Is esteem for Christ increased as a result of this teaching? That is, the true Christ of the Scripture. If we accept this teaching, will we think more highly of Jesus or less of Jesus as a result of embracing what is being presented to us? The first question. You see, the Gnostics in John's era reduced the humanity of Jesus. Whereas today, I would argue that false teachers want to reduce the fullness of Jesus as God. Jesus is holy. Reduce Jesus as righteous, as just. Deny Jesus as the one who will return and separate the sheep from the goats. The Jesus of pop culture. If you walked into Kurong and you picked up your copy of The Shack and you read it, would you be led to, to view Jesus as holy? No. Would you wind up reading that Jesus is just? Probably not. Let me read to you who Jesus is as revealed in Scripture. Colossians 1. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile all himself to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. I saw a school kid the other day walking by and he had a, a bag that said, Jesus is my BF, BBF, BFF, BFF, I imagine. Are we leading people into a greater esteem for Jesus' God through our teaching or less? Is your love of Christ increased by embracing a watered-down and domesticated counterfeit of he who rules all things and sustains all things through the power of his own being. See, John in this passage is telling us that anyone who wants to sell us a Jesus that is less than the Jesus of scriptures is an antichrist. It's a bit of a tough rebuke in this culture. We don't like that language. Those who want to push a Jesus who is less than our complete saviour is an antichrist. We don't like dividing statements like that. 
as a church, we're a bit squeamish about that. But is that what the scripture does? Hebrews 4, you, you may know this passage well. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God himself, through his word, is dividing teachers between those who confess Jesus, the real Jesus of the scriptures, as being from God, and those who preach the domesticated pop culture Jesus are from somewhere else. As you listen to your podcasts, as I listen to mine, as we, as family friends give us books, as we encounter, as we visit churches we've never been before, ask yourself this. Is the teaching you're encountering giving you more of Jesus reigning over the world or more of the world reigning over Jesus? That's the first test. The second comes from 1 John 4, verses 4 to 5. I'll read. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. So the next question the Apostle John gives in discerning teaching is this. It's a big one. For our culture. Does what we are reading or hearing work against the kingdom of Satan or does it promote wickedness? Let me rephrase. Is the teaching merely just a reflection of popular culture mores at this particular moment? I.e., is it likely to be given a platform on Oprah or the project and be applauded wildly? John is recording for us here that false teachers come from the world and will be received well by the world. And the logic follows, according to John, which is inspired by God's spirit, true teaching about Jesus that is popular outside of the church is not from God. Ouch. Because, I say ouch because... Popularity can be so attractive to our hearts. To be liked by the world who hasn't had that temptation. To receive our significance from popular opinion. To measure our mission as a church by how much the community likes us. Or maybe we, we think our mission is to make Jesus popular in the world. That if only we could smooth over the rough, rough edges in scripture then everyone might like and accept Jesus. Does anyone else, who know, anyone who knows me well will know I can barely get through a conversation without quoting the Babylon Bee. Uh, I think this headline sums up best, uh, better than I can, this mindset. Progressive believer ensures survival of Christianity by, no, by denying every major Christian doctrine. I want to repeat, guys. Being popular isn't our calling. Being faithful is our calling. In the words of Jesus in John fifteen nineteen, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, 
but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Ouch. Faithful teaching about Jesus will be rejected by the world, but false teaching will be applauded. So if we go and examine what we are being fed, check if it's being embraced embraced by the world around us, just to measure if it is true the gospel of Jesus Christ you're being taught. But, excuse me, I just want to take a moment because this is a sobering word. This should, but this should not be a source of any anxiety for any of us. We are the reconciled ones. Jesus has overcome the world and nothing, can se- less, led of all pop culture, can separate us from his love and his rule. We have the spirit of God indwelling us and we have his promise that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion at the day of judgment. The people of God, which is us, alone on this planet, are ultimately and eternally the only one that are on the side that's winning. Do not be deceived by the current state of the world. The recent Acts 29 conference on the Gold Coast, Adam Ramsey, in one of his sermons, put it like this, and I loved it. It captured my heart. We alone, the people of God, are the ones playing offence because we alone have the gospel of Jesus Christ. Matthew 16 to 20. Jesus promises to build his church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. And as Adam pointed out, gates are a defensive structure. You don't attack anybody with a gate. So I'll paraphrase this again. The gates of hell will not withstand. Nothing can withstand the force of the gospel from an eternal perspective. If we walk with the domesticated gods of this world, we're never going to be more than momentarily satisfied. But if we walk with Jesus, we will be satisfied for all eternity. Don't let false teachers lead you into less than the full promises you have in Jesus Christ. Appreciate it, brother. Okay. Third section of scripture. 1 John 4, verse 6. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. First time I read this, I misinterpreted it. And maybe on hearing you might have thought the same thing. You might read this, as I did, to say that whoever does not listen to us is not from God. Okay, so if I share the gospel and they don't respond, oh, you're not from God. You don't agree with me about something, you're not from God. But ironically, here in this passage, the us isn't about us. This is about John standing on his authority as an apostle of Jesus Christ. The us here, let me go back. Whoever does not listen to us, the us are those who wrote the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. John is drawing a boundary between those who have full apostolic authority and those who don't. So this, question gives, this section gives us our next question. We want to ask any new teaching or teachers. Do they bring more respect for the scriptures and more reading of it? 
Does this teaching or teacher bring more love and appreciation of the Bible? Or does it contradict Scripture and lead people away from beauty? As you observe people interacting with this teaching, do you observe them developing a hunger for the Word of God in their Bible? John is clear, we need to be clear. People who teach from God, who are sent from God, do so in harmony with biblical revelation and not against it. The Bible is the inspired revelation of God to his people. John is also clear that to those who are not his people, the Bible is at best fairy tales and at worst a dangerous collection of myths that are harmful to human flourishing. I'll read it again. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us, respects the Bible. Whoever is from, not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The teacher's honest use of the Bible will bring us, the people of God, light or their intentional abuse of the Bible if we allow could lead us into darkness. The Bible is the word of God, God's communication to us. So how does a false teacher seek to twist God's words to us to lead us into darkness? Well, if we want an example, I think a stark example of what this looks like, we need to go no further than Adam and Eve. If you unpack Genesis, the Genesis account, what is Satan's strategy? God has given a clear direction, his word, to create in Adam and Eve doubt about God's motivation and his words. What did the snake, Satan, say to Eve? Can you recall? Surely God did not say that. Surely God did not mean that. Putting suspicion in their hearts about the revelation and the word of God intentions of God and they didn't trust, it worked they didn't trust God and when we don't and when we trust his commands, his words in our life it's always going to lead us vulnerable to the whisperings of the snake the church can be popular and faithful if whispering straight into our hearts where we are most vulnerable creating suspicion about the motives of of the God who loves us beyond words And then in contrast with Adam and Eve responding to the snake's questions, we see how Jesus responds when he is tempted by Satan in Matthew 4. Satan misquotes scripture to Jesus, twists the word of God in order to lead him astray. But every answer our Saviour gives in this moment of extreme temptation is quoted scripture. The book of Deuteronomy thrown back in Satan's face until Satan departs. The word of God, powerful. That breaks my heart. Is it the approach we hear from so many in our broader church community amongst teachers who want to hold the Bible up and say, is this what God has really said? 
or the church has got this wrong for the last 2,000 years because today we know better. So what the Bible really says has to be the catch cry of the false teacher because ultimately the false teacher has to undermine the authority of Scripture because Scripture is God's word and as we've already seen in the other points, false teachers are not about God's kingdom. A teacher cannot point people away from the Bible and be sent from God. What we've talked about tonight as we've worked through our points um, of this scripture, this provision from God in this culture that wants to challenge what it means to be a Christian, I don't think anyone would be sitting here in shock. We know, or, if, uh, or tomorrow if we take the time to look around intently, that there are many false prophets teaching untruths about Jesus in the name of Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that to cause panic. We don't have to fear false teachers in the world. Jesus gives his church with his word, the Bible. In Ephesians 4, he reveals he gives the church teachers who are from him. And we see in the Gospel of John that he sends his spirit to guide us into the truth. So we are cared for by our Father. But, church... We're still called to be discerning. We're still called in part of our one anothering responsibilities as brothers and sisters to be discerning on behalf of each other. One of my favourite parts of the City Light story, many people may not be aware of it, many people who joined the Glenelg Church in its early days did so because a friend of theirs had come and they were coming down to make sure it wasn't a cult. And then when they got there, they stayed. It's a fantastic example of how Christian family should work. If, if a brother or sister is going into a new thing, take the time to ask, is it a godly thing they're moving into? I also don't want to leave anyone tonight here feeling condemned if you're questioning some of the books on your bookshelf. I've had a few. The perfect pursuit of knowledge is not a work that earns us entry into God's presence. But the embrace of ignorance about Jesus that so many do reveals a lack of joy in the beauty of who Jesus is and in what he has done for us. Embrace him. Find out. Hunger for more of who Jesus actually is. Apply the questions Scripture wants us to ask when we're discerning if a teaching is God-honouring or not. And I'll quickly run through them again. One, is esteem for Christ increased, the true Christ of the Scripture? Do we think more highly of Jesus or less of Jesus as a result of embracing what is being presented to us? Two, does what we are hearing or reading work against the kingdom of Satan? Three, Does it bring more respect for the scriptures and more reading of it? Does this teaching bring more love and appreciation of scripture? Brothers and sisters, don't be tempted by any teaching that wants to affirm the things of the world over the things of God, that wants to sell you a lie rather than the free gift of the greatest truth you have. 
that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, that in Jesus we have complete forgiveness and a love that false teachers want to substitute with empty cultural icons. Let your heart savour the truth of Jesus and endeavour to be faithful with all your heart, with all your strength, and as Jesus asks, with all our mind in response to who he is. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, there is no substitute for what you have given us in Jesus Christ. We stand before you guilt-free, Lord, called beloved children, able to enter your presence boldly, purely through the work and person of your son Jesus Christ and what he achieved on the cross and resurrection. We are free people, Lord. But as your people, we will face opposition. Lord, help us. Have your spirit active amongst us. Have our love lead us, each other, to pushing towards the truth, not letting a brother or a sister fall into falsehood. We thank you that you care so much that you meet our every need in this world. Lord, we thank you for who you are. And we pray this in the precious name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church or to donate to the work of City Light Church, visit us online at www.citylight.church.